Welcome to Rice is Rice, a podcast about the British East Asian experience and all things Asian and not. I'm Jem. I'm Akina. I'm Connor. I'm Alex, and I'm actually really good at maths. Uh, oh, we uh, didn't have that before. Yeah, we had it. We had it with, I'm not okay. good at maths. We had it with me, but, but, but the reverse, because yeah. I <laughs> failed my maths at <laughs> A-level. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually went to a maths school. Um, oh my did god! You? Yeah, well, I was in school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was actually like the first year of this um, of this math school. It's called King's Math School, um, and it was set up by King's College London. And it's basically like oh, wow. like a, a year of sixty students um, who are like really really gifted at maths, um, and they just force us to do like six hours of maths a day. And it was insane. It was absolutely oh insane. God. Oh yeah. my god! That's like my seventh wow. circle of hell. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> Who is this? Who is, is who is Alex, Jim? Why why is yes. there another person on the podcast today? <laughs> so um, I met Alex. Um, I, I, I've already mentioned before in the podcast that I I was a young producer at the National Gallery, and Alex is the next cohort. So I actually interviewed Alex and then um, chose him to take over. Um, we actually spoke about you being a guest on the podcast. A- like a few months back didn't we alex and then i think so yeah i did a casting call on my instagram and then you messaged and i was like yes let's get this done this is great um and i'm gonna pass it over to you alex to explain who you are um and what we will be covering kind of in the podcast today oh who who am i <laughs> who are you <laughs> those are the big big questions oh i i don't think i'm that interesting to have a whole segment where i talk about myself um but i mean i guess like if we get straight to the point uh we're going to be covering uh my queer identity and what it means to be asian and queer um who who am i i mean i think we've covered that i'm good at maths uh, i'm studying something that <laughs> was really hard to me uh, not because I liked it not because I was good at it um, but because I, I was just like I don't know what I'm doing um, and I think I'm still at the point where I, I don't really know what I'm doing um, and as Jem mentioned I am a young producer this year which is an amazing opportunity I think you've talked about it in one of your podcasts before um, about like the experience you've had as a young producer and just everything um, I think I'm just trying to figure out what what I like and where I want to mm-hmm. go in life, um, and it's it's a constant journey. Well, what I want to know now is where your love for art and and how you came across wanting to be part of the Young Producers. Where did that come from? For someone who um, has, a very has such like a background. yeah such an academic yeah. background and such strong ties to like maths, usually those things are placed on different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So where did you find? your love for art i think i've always had a love for art um to say that i'm like really academic is is probably quite wrong um Mm. because during i i think i remembered like secondary school i really enjoyed textiles so i really wanted to be a costume designer um when i was like when i was like 11 12 my mom bought me a sewing machine when i was 12 and it was like the biggest present i'd ever gotten because we didn't we didn't grow up like quite well off so like we Mm. we were like working class um like living in a council house so like a sewing machine was quite big um and i kind of like pursued textiles uh during 
like secondary school um i didn't pick it as like an a level because i was like i want to do maths um because i don't want to be in a college full of a hundred people that i don't know i would rather i'd rather go to a school oh, of 60 okay. people um so i i kind of like dropped um art and textiles just I just dropped it and then I like I mentioned before I did a foundation in art and design and that really brought me back to my roots where you know I was I was being creative every single day I was drawing I was painting um, and I really enjoyed that but I didn't really know where to take it uh, mm. so like I didn't find costuming again until I think it was I think it was the second half of my first year of uni where I was just not enjoying uni. I was like, I need to be out of here. Like, this is the worst thing that I could be doing to myself. I found, mm -hmm. I found theater and through theater, I found, um, I found costumes and I really enjoyed that, but there was kind of no way of me to get into it. Um, almost because mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard to break into the creative industry. Like you need to know the right oh, people. Yeah. And if you don't know the right people, you're not going to get a job. So I was, I had some contacts because I did a, I did a really short course with RADA. Um, it was like a three month course where it was mm. like their young theatre technicians or something. Um, and it was really fun. And I had like some contacts and I was trying to like break into the whole costuming type thing, but it was, it was getting me nowhere. So I was like giving cvs every single day i was walking to theaters i was like here's my cv wow. like i i will work for free like just give me a job and just no no one got back to me and it was so demoralizing because i was like mm -hmm. i was trying to constantly put out content um i was making things i was like working i was working for free like for the whole mm -hmm. summer yeah. and just you were that starving artist yeah and just no one like no one got back to me and i was like this is this is terrible like i'm I can't drop out of uni because I started second year and I was like, it's too late now. Like student finance would never give me another degree if I asked them. Mm. Um, yeah. So I just kind of, <coughs> I don't know. I, I was feeling really, really low. And then I saw the national gallery, um, young producers get advertised on my, on my Instagram. And I was like, I need to apply mm. to this. Like, this is, <laughs> this is my thing. Like I need to, I need to apply to this. I need to get in. Um, somehow I got in <laughs> um I know on your Instagram you do is it cosplay that you do a bit of yeah do you get to do a lot of like costuming there and like I see you do makeup and it's all amazing you look so fab <laughs> thank you <laughs> um yeah I, I started doing cosplay a couple of years back um I think I think I started doing it because someone wanted me to do something with them and I was like okay mm. I'll, I'll do it with you because I like comics um and there was there was kind of no downside to doing cosplay, although my bank account my bank account is just crying at me <laughs> constantly. <laughs> um, so I make all of my own costumes. Um, I try to do Amazing. it quite cheaply. So I know a lot of cosplayers like either buy their costumes or um, buy really really well made ones. Um, and I I just didn't want to do that. I was like, if I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it like on my own accord. And because I'm quite small as well, um, I can't really just buy costumes because they won't they won't fit me. Mm. <laughs> Struggle. I'm very familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, while I'm listening to you, I'm first of all 
amazed that you found costume designer as what, like you said, a 12 year old. Um, that's a very like specific niche, I feel like, for mm. like a preteen. I feel like when I was 10, 12, I was like, I want to be a nurse, teacher. I didn't think there was anything beyond that, especially in the arts that I could do. Um, and it, And I think that it comes from just as a Filipino, all we see around us are people who are in service in like governmental jobs. So that's really interesting that you saw costume design and you were like, that's what I want to be. Um, and the second thing that struck me while you were talking is, is it's interesting listening to all the different facets of your identity, your, your math side, your art side, your passions in, in cosplay and costume. It just is reminding me of why we're doing this podcast in the first place um, and reminding me that like us as, as part of like children of the diaspora were so infinitely complex and I definitely want to get into everything about you and you said <laughs> earlier that you don't think that it's that interesting but I think you are yeah. I think there's a lot of things there that I'm hearing and I just want to know how everything clicks together especially the fact that you have like an Asian background but Again, you're one of those Asian, like us, like we are, you kind of come out to come out of what is expected of an Asian. Um, and one thing I did want to go a little bit more into is your queer identity. Cause I know again, with like an Asian household, sometimes they're not completely like aware of um, the like LGBTQ plus community. Um, and it's still a little bit more of a taboo, de de definitely like in Asia um, when we're growing up in the westernized world it's a little bit easier so i kind of wanted to know a little bit about your story there i didn't come to terms with my queer identity until i was in math school so i didn't really mm. think about um what it meant to be queer i didn't even know being queer was a thing when i was mm -hmm. like during secondary school i i just i knew i got bullied for it <laughs> um i mm. remember i think once someone on twitter from my school um had put out this really mean tweet about me being bi um mm. and it was like i just didn't understand it i didn't even know what mean like being bisexual men i didn't know any of these like words i was just like oh i'm getting bullied <laughs> and yeah. this is pretty terrible um but i didn't i didn't come to terms with it until i was in math school and i think math school like it was a blessing also a curse like we've talked about it being a curse mm -hmm. with the whole I don't enjoy uni and I think it, it was because of my experience there um but it was it was also a blessing because it was so like everyone just cared about maths so mm. if you wanted to explore yourself if you wanted to um express yourself differently no one cared um it was a really mm. tight-knit type of community like it was only 60 students so you knew everyone um and bullying wasn't really a thing because we were all we were all just nerds you know we all mm. yeah did maths 24 7 like you couldn't you couldn't really bully anyone over that yeah. um so i think it was then where i was comfortable enough to start exploring my identity um mm -hmm. and i kind of came to terms with the fact that i i was queer um so queer means quite a lot of like queer is a word that varies from person to person um to me mm -hmm. it means that i don't like labeling my sexuality or my gender um so i i present 
pretty androgynously, I would say. Like I had long hair mm-hmm. a while ago. Um, I still have pretty long hair. Um, I dress quite masculine. I use masculine pronouns. I present, I would say, quite masculine. But if you were going to ask me what my gender identity was, I, I would just say queer because I feel comfortable with the word. Um, mm-hmm. It is a slur. So I think that when we were doing our Valentine's event for the National Gallery, there were like some pushback because we wanted to name our event um, Queer at Heart. And some of the mm-hmm. older gay men in the gallery who were working there were like this is you know you can't use this word it's it's a slur um yeah that's really interesting yeah so like to them it is a slur because you know during the 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 period that they grew up in it was used against them in a derogatory way but it means something different yeah 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 but like i think queer people um of our generation we're comfortable using that word and we're comfortable reclaiming it so it is a it mm, is a word yeah. that you have to be careful using it around i think mm-hmm. i personally think it's fine like anyone can use it but there are people who are like oh you shouldn't use this word um and mm. we should all be respectful of that but to me yeah. it's like my identity like i i label myself as queer so yeah that's good that you touched upon that because i am ready to admit that i uh really am not aware of a lot of things within the lgbtq community and it's something that i have to unlearn to to stop thinking in those binaries of like male female straight or gay um and that it's a huge spectrum and more and more as i'm reading about it and learning how to navigate within it um it's interesting to hear from people like you and and obviously your views and thoughts aren't going to be everyone's views and thoughts but how do you think how would you say is is the way forward um for us within the asian community who may not be uh raised to think as openly about it i know people in our generation are more ready to but for older generations what is the way forward? I think it's just educating yourself. So I, I obviously like grew up, had no knowledge of this whole community. Um, and then when I was 16, 17, I just kind of threw myself into it. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this, you know, these labels fit me. Like I, I found um, people who are similar in the way that they feel. And I actually started mm-hmm. an LGBTQ plus group in math school so I I actually led this group called Take Pride and I basically forced like 10 of my friends to go to go to it every week (laughs) Um, and we just we sat there and we had conversations um, and I basically educated them on you know the the whole acronym so LGBTQ plus Um, I think Mm -hmm. at that time I was using IA as well which stands for Mm -hmm. intersex and asexual but there's been Mm -hmm. kind of some pushback on whether or not they should be included in the acronym um, but now I've uh, I've cut it down to LGBTQ plus because I think the mm-hmm. plus encompasses uh, intersex, asexual, polyamory, like it, it encompasses mm-hmm. everything. Um, I don't think they need to be in the main acronym because some intersex people don't see themselves as LGBT um, mm-hmm. and some asexuals are, um, I think the word is like cis, cis aromantic. Um, Mm -hmm. so basically if you're asexual, but you 
are not trans um and you like you you don't feel attraction to anyone of the same sex um so you're you're mm-hmm. basically just a normal cis het person but with no romantic or sexual attraction then it's like it, it's kind of a gray area it's like do you do you want to be considered part of this mm-hmm. community or not um mm-hmm. and i think there's there's a lot of discourse in the lgbtq plus community i don't really want to go into it because it's it's too much um and i've just taken kind of a step back from it uh, because mm-hmm. it's it's just it takes so much energy um to kind of be involved in that discourse uh mm-hmm. that i just that's completely understandable yeah. sometimes you yeah. do get some kind of like compassion fatigue yeah. when you're too immersed in these conversations yeah yeah i think as well like um so like recently i've been having a lot more conversations with some of my lgbtq plus friends um because i'm kind of realizing in terms of my own sexuality as well um and that i wanted to be more educated into it before i start labeling myself as something and um my friend was saying to me which again like she 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 said to me that sexuality is very like it's what you kind of feel comfortable with um in terms of labeling yourself and Mm -hmm. when we're talking about um pansexuality she herself doesn't like the term um she finds it like she can't really relate to that and she also like doesn't really i would rather i think labor herself as bisexual than pansexual and she was just explaining all this stuff to me because i didn't really understand and i was trying to figure out i was like would i label myself as bisexual or pansexual or like sexually fluid um because i've always been kind of in the mindset um that i'd be open to a relationship with a woman because for me the important thing is if you like connect or if you have that attraction and i've definitely had that before where i've fancied a girl mm-hmm. um but i'm still at the stage where i'm trying to figure out like whether I want to label that as something um and i also right now i'm at a stage where i feel like it's not fair to label myself as as something when i, I haven't had any experiences within it um and i don't want to take that label away from people who have had um, experiences or hardships that have come with that label and i don't know if that makes any sense but um i think that's the thing what i've been realizing recently because i'm trying to read up more on um that community the community that i may or may not be in um Mm. so that i fully understand it and i have full respect Mm -hmm. um for all the labels but it is really difficult like i'm i i get really confused very easily with it um but i think like i'm really happy for you that you've got to a place where you, you have a label that you are comfortable with um when you kind of like have you spoken about it with your parents are they aware of your your identity oh no (laughs) um so it's i i only grew up with my mom and Mm -hmm. i've never spoken to her about my career identity i think during the phase where i was i was coming to terms with things i had you know i had a flag i had like stickers all around my room she's never asked me about it i've never Mm -hmm. talked to her about it so i'm not really sure like i think it's pretty obvious that I'm queer. Um, Do you think there is some kind of unspoken understanding? Yeah. Um, happening with you and your mother? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think she's really understanding of me. Um, she's really, she's she's amazing. Like, she supports me through everything. I I think I remember, I was like, I'm gonna drop out of uni. I don't like this anymore. She's like, okay, just make sure that you're like, wow. you know, just just make sure that you're you're okay and 
you That's know you get amazing. a job yeah she's she's absolutely amazing and i think i don't think there's a need for me to come out to her particularly mm-hmm. i mean i think like society is is so it's so regimented like every everything needs a label um mm. which is why I, I feel so comfortable with the queer label because it's it's kind of an antithesis of a label almost mm. um mm-hmm. and i feel like you know in in 100 200 years maybe no one has to come out ever like yeah you, you know you are that would be the ideal yeah. yeah i like, really hope so <laughs> which which would be great because like i don't think it's fair for gay people to have to come out like why mm-hmm. can't you just come home with whoever you fancy like yeah it, it feels really unnecessary um yeah so i i don't think i'll ever talk to my mom about it i mean i think she'll ask you know in in like when i turn 30 she's gonna be like so when are you <laughs> when are you bringing home a wife and i'm like uh <laughs> <laughs> now's the time for the conversation <laughs> yeah. but you you kind of answer my questions as you talk because my my first question was going to be do you do you well why do you think you have not vocalized it with your mom yet and then you answered it with that you don't really feel the need to um and i thought that was kind of beautiful because it reminded me of a tweet that i saw um someone saying that when their parents they hope that their child can just bring home anybody Mm. um and then that's that and i agree that's i don't see a reason why that shouldn't be any other way so you're so obviously you're quite comfortable with your mom and you guys seem pretty close but um with immigrant or diaspora children's relationship with older generations it's always like respect your uncles and aunties and stuff so when people of older generations say something kind of problematic do you like do you want to say something and then don't because you know it's so difficult to change an asian person's mind or do you try to speak up still and say something or do you find a balance uh I mean, I don't think I've had to deal with any of that, which oh, okay. which is really really good, um, mm. because we're we're not close to our extended family, um, mm. so I don't have to deal with older uncles and aunties mm. and have to deal with their like homophobic comments. Um, mm. So yeah, it's it's just really just me and my mom. I think it would be different if I had to deal with like. Do you know uncles. how you would deal with it? I think I just ignore them. I don't think I, I don't mm. know if what I do. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure there's there's a couple more of us who are like gay in the family. Mm. So I I'm not really sure. Maybe have you <laughs> have you found any other circumstances where you've had to kind of um, battle or balance both identities of of um, being queer and being Asian? Because I think often I see that those identities are kind of separated and we never talk about it as one being queer and asian i think the only times i've had to kind of deal with that is dating Mm -hmm. so dating when you're queer and asian is is a minefield um and especially like gay men who are very very rigid in their in their preferences um so like Mm -hmm. one one of the things that you would often see on 
dating apps and websites is like no fats, no femmes, and no Asians. Um, oh, oh really? Yeah. I never knew that. Was yeah. Thing. What? Yeah, it's it's pretty like when you see that you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, because I know Asian men are like the lowest match for straight dating sites and stuff. I guess it carries on to LGBT. That's mad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't just don't really understand how that's okay to write that. Like I Yeah, is that like, generally accepted? I mean, a couple of years back, yes. And now you don't really yeah. see that much. Now I I think I've seen like a lot more um a lot more people looking for like Asian twinks or like smooth femme Asians. And I think it it comes from like oh. fetishize fetishization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah. Like, yeah, sounds you know, like it. Yeah, like sounds from like from the like K-pop type boom yeah uh, you you get quite a lot of people like fetishizing asians have you personally had to deal with that in your dating life oh yeah definitely <laughs> i'm so how have, you, <laughs> how have you coped with it in the past i think in the past i've like kind of accepted it when you're when your self-esteem mm-hmm. is so low when anyone likes you, you're like yes i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna right. like you back I, I yeah that. But now, like, like internalizing it. Yeah, and now I've I've just kind of like, I find it quite hard to date because I'm just like, are you fetishizing me or do you actually like me for me? Um, mm, yeah. And it's like, it's a hard balance to strike, um, and I think a lot of Asians have to deal with this. I don't know in the straight dating world if you have to deal with, like, fetishization. Um, or like people just I think discriminating. Asian women yeah. have to deal with fetishization. Um, yeah. But I think the K-pop thing also carries on because obviously a lot of girls love K-pop bands. Fetishization is definitely like a thing um, for straight dating. I know that when I was like at uni, um, which I've discussed before, but like when I was on like a, like a dating app, like the fetishization on there would be like, it was weird. Like some of the stuff like you'd hear from people, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I don't think that's okay to say. Um, mm. So I think it's yeah, it's I, I just didn't realize it was like that in, within the gay community. My question I just remembered was so obviously you face fetishization um, around your uh, Asian identity, but have you found recently um, any kind of similar? types of like problematic fetishization towards uh your queer identity too because i hear a lot of stories of people wanting to date like kind of woke date have you (laughs) heard of that term before and like put themselves in situations and then and then it seems kind of like they're they're putting themselves on a pedestal because look at me i'm so woke i'm so accepting of all these different identities what's woke dating what do you mean by that <laughs> yeah i was i was gonna ask i was like what is that i saw like well okay. a straight like um, straight girls seen, trying to go out with gay guys yeah have you guys seen <laughs> uh rami the show no. no there is a bit in that episode where there's a teenage girl that like that goes out and tries to date members of the like lgbtq community or like the disabled community that teenage girl oh, yeah, yeah. um because she thinks that it's like woke and she's like doing something and being uh, showing herself as like accepting of all these but oh. not necessarily for the right reasons um 
because I've had to explain it to you, I feel like you <laughs> haven't had that experience. But have you heard of this? I, I don't think I've heard of it. Um, I think I, I think I've seen it around um, mm. from like distant friends or friends, but I've not personally yeah. experienced that. I mean, I don't leave my house, so I don't know who I'd be dating. <laughs> <laughs> No one does right now. <laughs> <laughs> so dating. I can't believe people actually do um, woke dating. I think that that is crazy. But yeah. I also I like, see recently. it happening. <laughs> it kind of like I'm not surprised that people are doing that. But it's fucked. Like that is that's real. Like that's a whole different level of like socialization. Yeah. Like thinking oh, I'm gonna date so that I seem woke and accepting. It's it's very like narcissistic. I think we were talking about this before you came on to this google hangout but how i feel very distant from like younger generations um and i'm not even that old i'm like 24 <laughs> um but do you think there's a difference uh between how because us being in our early 20s we kind of we kind of are on the fence between like millennials and and gen z yeah um and i've was watching one of those ID videos. I don't know if you've seen it, like what it's yeah. like to be 16 in New York. Yeah, yeah, That's the one I watched. But I was watching them and I was thinking, this generation, like the teens now, are very, they, at least they seem, very open to like the fluidity of sexuality and gender. And the millennials, I think, are are, are there, but not as, as readily accepting. Because like the teens nowadays are just they just seem like they're on it when you were younger and you were facing um bullying for it did you understand like th what did you think it was you think you were just different um i don't know like like you said um millennials are are obviously like a lot more rigid i think where mm. the the time that i was growing up so i'm like two years younger than you um mm. which isn't a lot of time no <clears throat> And I think, you know, during my secondary school days, um, when I was getting bullied for being for being queer, basically, but I didn't really understand what it meant. I think the only people that were that were famous and gay were like Elton John, mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's the only person I can mm -hmm. remember, or like yeah. or like really old gays. Um, and I didn't see myself in that because there was there was no there was no Asian representation in media yeah. at all. So I couldn't yeah. see myself in anyone on TV or in movies. Um, and I definitely didn't see myself as Elton John. Like, I, I didn't look at Elton John and was like, yeah, that's that's who I am. Um, yeah. Because when, when you're young, mm -hmm. you kind of look to people in media who reflect who you see yourself as or, like, yeah, who look right, similar right. to you, right? Right. Um, so when, when I was, like, young, I, I didn't... I just did not know anything because... Mm -hmm. All the people that's that interesting yeah, that makes to just not have any kind of structure to how to build your identity um and i think that's what i find really interesting like how difficult it must be because like myself as like a asian straight female i already don't have role models growing up yeah. um but it's even more so for someone who's queer and asian you just it's it's such a bizarre thing to not have anything like yeah. not have any template as to how to build who you are yeah so in recent years have you found any 
people that not necessarily look up to but can see yourself represented in? Uh, Eugene from the Try Guys. I, I was about to ask <laughs> if, yeah. <laughs> That's who I was thinking yeah. too. <laughs> the closest thing. I think Eugene's like such a great mo- role model though because, mm-hmm. you know, he talks about um, really not discovering himself until quite recently um mm-hmm. and that's something that i relate to like obviously i'm like a lot younger than him i don't know how old he is 30s is mm-hmm. he 30 who I knows he looks it maybe <laughs> could be younger it's really hard um yeah i i really look up to him and i think he's he's creating content <clears throat> that he enjoys um mm. like he has his own company with his friends like that's amazing um and that's something i i look yeah. up to not only as an asian but as a creative person as well um just yeah. to kind of yeah. find my mm. footing and just just flourish basically and speak your truth like yeah. he, i he like others that i would categorize in the same are exactly the kind of person creatively and, and personally that i would aspire to be like just someone who is ready to speak their truth and be exactly who they are yeah yeah i think that's the i think that's the beauty right now and how um socially well i don't know right right, i'm I'm saying the wrong wrong term but like how everyone's on like social media um Mm -hmm. and everyone is able to create their own content and and be themselves in front of the camera um that we are seeing a lot more representation where it's not just Mm -hmm say actors who are in hollywood it's it's youtubers like you see a lot of that around and you can connect that way and i think um say specifically with the lgbtq plus community say like in asia for example like my parents they often get confused when they see like um a gay man who looks very straight and is super masculine because for them in asia (laughs) same with my parents yeah. yeah like in in philippines gay men are all like the the, like nickname for them are beckys and they're all super feminine gay men who wear their female clothing and grow out their hair and and they um that is that is a a gay man in philippines for the majority so same with lesbians like my parents don't think a feminine lesbian is yeah they have to be these very like butch yeah exactly and 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 so they've and they've grown up like thinking that is what a gay man and a gay woman is and you can't even blame them because they've not seen anything else so they were like oh what really and what's amazing actually with my parents they went me and alex and and, well john's a bit too young to really like talk about it um we will like sit down with our parents and like educate whenever they say oh is he gay but he looks so manly and i'm like well (laughs) you can be like super masculine and gay and they're like my, my parents are doing amazing with actually understanding um, now and they're like, okay, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Like, we just never realized that was a thing. It's like so, that. It's like that meme going around on Twitter. It's that picture of Margot Robbie and Christian Stewart <laughs> in like a kitchen, and they're dressed like Margot Robbie's in like this latex like short dress thing. Christian Stewart's dressed in like the baggiest like like oh I've seen know, that like a shirt sure, and stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> then, then the caption, yeah, the caption just says like the tooth the two ends of the lesbian fashion spectrum it is a really difficult thing explaining it to um the older generation generation and understanding it through the older generation's eyes first because definitely when i was younger i i relate to you gem where i thought that like if i behaved more masculine it would mean that i would turn 
to like magically turn into a lesbian yeah even if i haven't had any of those impulses before (laughs) and i was always told because i went to an all-girls school when i first like started everyone's like oh my god you're gonna turn into a lesbian (laughs) yeah i remember that do you remember like i remember um our friend our friend's brother literally said to me like Jem, just be careful like you're gonna turn into a lesbian because you're going to an old girl's school are you sure like you're like you're ready for that and I, was like, <laughs> I was like uh oh and at that age i was just kind of like oh my god will i because uh, like you don't know i was like 10 or 11 and and i was like does that thing happen i don't think that thing happens um that's another that thing is- though the fear of being gay or or trans or queer um the fear that we have internalized because i like when we were younger ash well our best friend came up to me i think we were like maybe 10 and was like again i had i i looked at that girl's bum i'm scared i might be a lesbian Uh, and it's put, like pearl blaster right there, yeah. Jesus. That is brilliant. <laughs> but it's like it, it made me think back to those days and like, why were we mm. so scared yeah. to be like this side of this yeah. the sexuality spectrum? Like, I know. And even and, like when yeah. when we were like younger, so me, Ash, and Aquino, when we'd like go out shopping, we'd hold hands. Um, and I remember the first time, like, I was, like, holding hands on, and then someone looked, and I was, like, I wanted to, like, let go and be, like, I'm not a lesbian. And then, like, and that was, like, at a really young age, and now looking back, I'm, like, that's so sad that as a kid, you, you're you so, like, conscious and you don't want to be labeled as mm. that. Like, it, it it's, re- it's, like, really, really sad. And I, and I think the good thing about society now is that it's so much more accepting that I'm hoping that kids don't have that same kind of fear that we had when we were kids to like i don't want to be gay that kind of thing and and yeah um i think now yeah because society is becoming more accepting it's not uh it's definitely still something that happens i'm sure but i don't think it's as common as when we were kids did you experience that same kind of fear when you were coming to terms with your identity alex oh yeah definitely like i think being seen as as queer or gay it was seen as like inferior um Mm. which is why i think you know all of us had that fear of oh if we did something that was that was you know slightly out of the norm we'd be seen as gay or or, you know Mm. in in your case like lesbian like it was seen as bad but i think um i think earlier akina you were talking about how teenagers now are becoming like a lot more um comfortable with exploring their sexuality and gender i think there's also like a flip side to it where mm. um straight people are are like queer baiting almost so you mm. see like you know those viral videos where um like they're on tiktok or something and they're doing like mm. you know these these challenges where they where they like confess feelings for their friends um and they pretend to be gay oh, I've seen them. yeah and they're all oh. like oh, really? yeah they're all like just, kind of fucked up yeah they're all queer baiting but they're getting so much um, they're getting so much clout for it like you know people are, yeah. are retweeting reblogging liking um, and then you know the creator of the video is like oh JK it's only a joke like we're not gay I think that there's that is fucked up yeah, there's, yeah that is. there's a massive shift in society where you know it, mm. it went from us being scared of being labelled differently to now mm. people almost like 
appropriating gay culture almost mm. yeah um, whereas like popular to be yeah because i think again like they associate being gay as being woke yeah and that's, yeah. It, that's yeah. the yeah i think it, it also comes down to like people wanting to be special or different um yeah. mm-hmm. like yeah. I, I remember um in in secondary school like people would pretend to have mental illnesses because it was it was cool and woke yeah 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 Yeah, it was the whole like oh i have depression like i'm you know i have ocd or like i have an eating disorder and it's like it's crazy like how people would do stuff like that just to that seem that is exactly exactly what you said it is a form of appropriation because it's shit for people who did have to go through the brunt of of society when they didn't accept it and they had to like take those losses and and take the abuse that came with it suddenly now it's popular and people are don't realize that so many have had to suffer to come to terms and accept it um it's a real sting in the face and i think because it happens and in so many different um like intersections mm-hmm. um it's a really good way now i'm thinking of explaining appropriation like if people don't understand it in terms of culture appropriation within fashion mm-hmm. they might understand it within what you're talking about appropriating mental health symptoms or appropriating sexuality mm-hmm. um and that's actually a really good way to think about it the fact that it occurs in so many different areas yeah yeah i did not know that that was a thing (laughs) neither did i i love guest episodes because it just opened my eyes up to loads of different things um so thank you for agreeing to come on um yeah thank you so much and thank you for being so open and um willing to talk about your identity with us i know like it is a it's a very big thing to talk about um so thank you for sharing thank you for having me such an amazing well (laughs) um okay guys so that is our episode up thank you very much to our guests um and hopefully we'll have you back again another time Um, alex do you have any do you have any thing you want to plug i'm not sure if you're working on anything uh do you have like an arts page that people can go look at do you have a tiktok that you want to follow Um, you can cool you can follow my cosplay page, which I haven't updated yes. in so long. It's called Holistic Cosplay. Um, just one C, not two Cs. Akina, where can they find us? You can find us on Instagram at Rice's Rice Pod, on Twitter at Rice's Rice underscore Pod, and on YouTube at Rice's Rice. Uh, follow us on Spotify, uh, Spotify Podcast, Apple Podcasts. Yes. Google Podcasts, all the podcast sites. <laughs> um, we do episodes every Wednesday. And don't Thank forget you. To get some rice in your life. Bye. 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 See ya. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs>